Welcome to Kinsider, where we explore what's next in tech and media. I'm Laura Clinton, and today we're here with Kimberly Seals Allers, who is the founder of the app Earth. That's birth without the B. Today, we're talking about how technology and data can be used to create positive social change and bring about better maternal health outcomes for Black and Brown women. We hope you enjoy. We're here today with Kimberly Seals Allers. She is an award winning journalist, author, international speaker, and strategist for maternal and infant health. Kimberly is also the founder of Earth, which is birth without the B for bias. It's a Yelp like review and rating app for black and brown women and birthing people to leave and find reviews of OBGYNs, hospitals, and pediatricians, as well as a digital tool to address bias and racism in care and bring transparency and accountability to the medical system. Kimberly, thank you so much for being here with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're so excited. So I'd love to start by just getting your story and what really motivated you to founding Earth. Yeah. I mean, I, as you mentioned, I'm a journalist by trade. And so I was having a wonderful career in journalism as a writer at Fortune magazine, covered Wall Street for the New York Post. Rupert Murdoch sent me to London to write for his newspaper there. And I was having a great time. And then I became a mother and everything shifted for me. Like many people, my motherhood experience, including my own childbirth, inspired me to look deeper into these issues. And so when I was having my first child, I was actually completing grad school at Columbia, did all the research, trying to find the best doctor, the best hospital, read all the blogs and listservs that existed at the time. And ended up going to a very highly rated hospital and leaving feeling ridiculously dismissed and traumatized and disrespected. And it was a real shock to me because certainly as a journalist, I did my research. And then certainly as a person who takes my consumer angle very seriously, I was just really disappointed that I had such high expectations. But the reality was at that time in my life, I was not yet married and I was still in grad school. So I was on student insurance and I was treated like an unwed black woman with basic insurance. And that experience never left me. It really shaped my motherhood journey. It caused me a lot of disappointment and regret. But I had this realization that people are not being treated the same way, even at the same place. And that deeply troubled me. And so that kind of began my journey. My very first piece of work in this space was my first book, which came out in 2006, The Mocha Manual to a Fabulous Pregnancy, which was the first of its kind guidebook that really said, hey, this journey is different for Black women, not because of any genetic difference or 40 weeks equals a baby regardless for everybody, but what happens during that time, your experiences during that time can impact uh, birth outcomes and your own sense of well-being. And that was certainly my experience. So that's how I got started in this space and decided to put what I know how to do, which is really around communication, words, media tools, and create a book that I thought could be helpful to Black and Brown women around navigating that space. That's how I got started. That's beautiful. And coming from the book after it was published, was the response that women needed a service like this to really properly vet their birth care providers? 
Yes, but I think the greater response was to people seeing themselves reflected. The Mocha Manual has an illustration, which people thought it was me because I had hairstyle I just wore for years. But anywho, they hadn't seen themselves portrayed that way. Motherhood in our country has been disproportionately a white female visual. And if you think of who's the ideas around motherhood and who's celebrated as mothers, it has been white women. And we have not been seen as people who wear stylish clothes and have cute diaper bags. And that's what the Mocha Manual was also about. So the greatest response, and I saw this response in the U.S., the book went to the U.K., where people were just like, I am so excited to see myself reflected, not in a stereotypical way, but in a way that I know that I am. Educated people, people who care about their finances, people who care about how they look. And so the most important thing that that first book taught me was that people need to see themselves reflected and that not everybody's having the same experience, whether that is how they're portrayed in the media versus their actual lived experience in the childbirth and motherhood space. And so I I really sought to address that in many ways. Did you find that these experiences, these negative experiences when giving birth attributed to maybe difficulties in identity when you start your journey as a mother? Does it just put you in a bad place from the beginning? Absolutely. And we see that right now in so many earth reviews, this idea that you're at your most vulnerable time and you are there to bring life into the world. And this idea that your life could be threatened, your life is actually in jeopardy while you're doing one of the greatest feats of humankind, in my opinion, of bringing life into the world is really deeply troubling. We receive far too many DMs and messages and emails from Black and Brown birthing folks around their fears around giving birth. People asking about how to create a will before they go in for delivery. This is completely unacceptable. And of course, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you are so stressed out, then that stressors are going to impact your birth outcome. So you might have had a chance at a full term, normal weight baby, but the stresses about the childbirth, the stresses about all these other things have contributed to that. And that's very real. I was sharing with someone that when I was pregnant, I prayed to God for a girl because I was petrified of having a boy. I was petrified that I was unprepared and at that time ill-equipped to raise a black male in this society, it frightened me every day. And I prayed every day for a girl because just that stress. These are the very real concerns that plague people, that impact their experience during pregnancy, that impact ultimately how they're treated during childbirth. And we have no way of sharing that, knowing how other people like us experience someplace. So that's the huge gap that needed to be filled. Absolutely. And In the data capture and the data reporting feature of the app, have you found that bringing this data to light has impacted the way that Black and brown birthing people have seen themselves in this process and how they've communicated with their healthcare providers, just having that data available to them. Mm -hmm. And I think when we think about, for me, the greatest benefit to the data, to the information. So on the front end, we're providing this Yelp-like platform for people to see how others have been treated. And that is incredibly empowering. People feel like, okay, my community vouched for this person or my community warned me about this person. So let me see what else I can do. If that means I need to get a do 
doula, if that means I need to research childbirth centers, if that means I need to make sure my nosy aunties with me in the childbirth, and, you know, when I give birth, people at least have the information to better prepare themselves for the experience. And so just being informed, there are far too many people, including myself, who are saying, I wish I had known that other people who look like me did not have a good experience at this place or with this person. So that's the incredible piece of empowerment that the collective data provides. It's the having this additional vouching system for your own decision-making. And then on the back end, when we show the data to hospitals, many of them aren't happy (laughs) with, with what they see. Many of them are still quick to dismiss experiences, which is why we push so hard to get more reviews, because unfortunately, we need need so many more reviews, so many more people to convince a hospital that it's real. That deeply troubles me. We also accept reviews from doulas in the app, and that's really important. So at least with them as well, a doula has seen many births at a hospital. So when we get to go to them and say, hey, we have these hundred patient reviews, but we also have this many doula reviews, which also represents collectively hundreds of additional births, Now they're a little bit harder to dismiss it away, but the dismissiveness of black and brown people's pain is deeply troubling. And this idea that nobody died as if that's something to be celebrated is deeply troubling and something I refuse to accept. Of course, yeah. Death should not be our starting place. (laughs) Exactly. And we see people being happy that they didn't die, like literally written in reviews when we say, what's the best thing that happened to you? I'm alive. My baby is alive. And that... I'm giving myself goosebumps right now. That always breaks my heart. That should not be the level of standard of care for Black and brown birthing people. And they deserve so much more, so much more. And when you present this data to hospitals, how are you quantifying it? And how are you presenting this to them? And of course, they're not going to be happy. But have you found that in presenting this data to them, they've changed any of their practices? Well, usually when we present the data, one of the most important things I think we do well in the Earth app is we ask very specific questions because hospitals are doing the anti-bias trainings. They're like, hey, we did the anti-bias trainings. First of all, (laughs) there's no data that they work. There's been zero accountability. Nobody's ever checked back in to see if they are actually improving the care for the people they're supposed to be improving the experience for. And so they feel that they've ticked the box and they've moved on and that it's not happening. But in Earth, we literally ask very specific behaviors. Were your pain levels dismissed? Were your requests for help ignored? Was a diagnostic test delayed? Um, Was your physical privacy vibe. We have about 15 that we keep adding to as they get overreported in the app. I mean, it's crazy. Like we have to cut it off. The, wow. the levels of the types of things that people experience that being yelled at. Right now, the number one negative experience being reported in Earth is requests for help were ignored or refused. Number two, I was yelled at, screamed at, or threatened. And number three, my pain levels were dismissed. When we're able to show them this type of breakdown, and this is what I think is the next level for how we deal with this issue on the healthcare side, is we can't have a conversation about bias in a very esoteric, abstract way that you just talk about your childhood, talk about this country's racist history. All of that is a great starting point, but they call it unconscious bias for a reason. It's happening below the surface for a lot of people, and they need to see the specific behaviors. So our data says... This is how many times we show them frequency and pattern and people name names in earth. That's important information. So we can say in the past six months, this many people said their pain levels were dismissed. This many people said they were yelled at. This many people. And here are the times and dates that it happened. And this is why you have to act. That's what it takes for them to pay attention. If we say to them, 
hey, generally overall, you have a three rating. They'll try to dismiss it away. And then we show them, I think the kids call it the receipts. (laughs) (laughs) Pulling out the receipts. Pulling out the receipts. We show them the receipts. Then they are more responsive. But it's the detailed data that really works. And it's explaining what bias looks like to Black and brown people. Because that doctor may not have felt like yelling or scolding someone was an act of, was perceived as racism. That's a power issue, which of course is related to racism, but that's a whole nother podcast. But to understand what that looks and feels like to Black and brown folks is also the goal. We're not defining what is good behavior, what is good care, just on some national standard. No, we're saying for the people who are dying the most under this system, we need to understand how do we define better care by their standards. And that's what we seek to do on the back end with the data. And are you just sharing this with the hospitals that have been reviewed on the app? Or are you sharing this further into other systems and other powers as well? Well, right now, we have a couple of hospital pilots. We have a hospital pilot going on in Detroit. We just got a grant to do a hospital pilot here in New York City, so I'm excited about that. We know where Black maternal mortality is the worst, and we target those cities to try to find hospitals that are willing to come into a pilot partnership with us and then seek grant funding to make that happen. But beyond that, we are constantly running reports on our back end. Many times when we approach hospitals, it's because we do have reviews. Hospitals, (laughs) they're pretty funny. But they are very used to having data that it's not transparent, that they own, that they get to look at. And the fact of the matter is, we have reviews on you. We don't need your permission to collect reviews. And that's something that they fundamentally have a challenge with. And when we say that Earth's data is public, they're like, wait, I can't control it. And we're like, yeah, no, sorry. But you can learn from it. And as a media person, I'm like, and you can get in front of it by addressing it. Many times, either we have reviews and we present what we have to them, invite them into an opportunity to improve. And many people say no. Many people, too many people say no. It's a very interesting conversation. We're also really trying to work with others within the health ecosystem, which includes payers. So we're having some exploratory conversations with insurance companies because ultimately, I believe that those who are paying for it, if they let you know that they're watching your Earth reviews, then you're really going to have to pay attention. And in my roadmap of Earth, there is a risk assessment model around the provider's who are repeatedly mentioned as being problematic to Black and brown folks. It's that accountability. It's that accountability. Mm -hmm. And that accountability has been missing, and it's only been internal accountability. But this idea that you're actually accountable to the communities that you serve is apparently extremely revolutionary Um, and is a paradigm shift that's going to take a lot of time. And I think Earth is a tool to help leverage that because ultimately we live in a consumerist healthcare system and we've seen the many failings of that, but we have to harness, my vision is to harness our collective consumer power and that Earth becomes so big you can't ignore it. And then this idea of us moving toward an Earth approval, a hospital accreditation, a ways for providers to show that they've actually been vouched for by Black and brown folks who are birthing, that's pretty important to me. How do you feel that the advancement of data technology impacts systems of power or maybe amplifies or potentially silences Black voices? There's a lot more data in the world in general outside of the healthcare system. And I'm curious your thoughts on that and how that can help these paradigm shifts. 
So we know data is a powerful tool. The challenge is how do we make sure that data is being used for good and not to perpetuate systems that have oppressed marginalized groups? Like we've already learned that algorithms are biased. Even in healthcare, we saw algorithms being used that were actually prejudiced against Black people unknowingly. So data has a lot of potential, but if it's only created, generated by the same people or the people are building it, we run the risk of not using it to change, but unfortunately falling into some of the traps of the problem, the things that got us here. Things that got us here won't get us out of this mess. And so either we're going to have to really transform our idea of what data is, who creates it, how do we make sure that the previous biases that have already showed up aren't perpetuated. We have to do something different there. Data on its own is not going to save us. It hasn't yet. I'm glad you brought up the algorithm because I was actually very interested to find that Earth was coded entirely by women of color. And I'm curious because we know that these algorithms, they are coded by people and people do have unconscious internalized biases because these are coded by people. They're imperfect codes and imperfect algorithms that reflect those unconscious biases. How do you feel that having an all-women-of-color team to build this app has created a system where you can really amplify the power of your community and your voices? Yeah, such a great question. I mean, first, I want to say that everybody told me that I couldn't do it. First of all, I'm a non-technical founder. I'm a journalist by trade. And so I came into this space. I don't even know code. <laughs> I will say that my son, who is a math and science coding kid, I've paid too much for his coding camps every summer. <laughs> uh, we started Earth as a project, a mommy and son project for me to figure out a way to understand his world because he would always say things I didn't understand. We started Earth by going to app development classes that were free at NYU for alum. And that's how Earth began, really, with me leaning on my son for coding knowledge and him building those first wireframes that we took to hackathons. Being able to have a team of femmes who understand not just code, but the mission and the importance of the situation and the severity of it and the significance of it and the transformational potential of it, that was the biggest part. And then people said that the skills that I needed, I would not be able to find. And let me just say that I put out maybe a tweet, a post, and people came. There were literally specific names who are known in the UX design world who people had mentioned when I was going to conferences and saying, hey, do you know anybody? They would say, you'll never be able to afford her. You'll never be able to afford her. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm a nonprofit. But this same exact person had reached out to us saying, I want to help. Not a mother, but had had a very negative experience in her own care and believed in what we were doing. And across the board, the level of people who have created Earth, the Black and Brown and other people of color who have showed up to lend their skills, to believe in it, is something that I'm incredibly proud of. And that, for me, goes behind why Earth was built by a team of Fems of Color because everybody on that team understood, as they say, the assignment and, <laughs> and the mission of what we were trying to do. And for me, having that brought out their best work. When outside people come in and look, even our lawyers, whatever, they're like, your team is committed. And these are all contractors and you hear the stories. That is the extra value. But for me to put a product in the world that I know that 
for its end user, it was built by people who know your lived experience, for built by people who understand not just why this tool is important, but how you like to interface, our user interface, who you like to see, who you need to see when you open an app. All of these types of things went into it, and that's because of the team and even things that I hadn't thought of that they did. It was just a tremendous asset to the process of creating something for the community. And what I wanted to show was that there's a new way. Many times people want to create things for black and brown people, sometimes with a savior mentality, or oh, it's going to help them, but they don't include us from ideation. They don't include us in the design process. They come afterwards, they create something, then they test it on us. I was not going to do that. Earth was built literally with the community and by people from the community. And that is something I hope can be a model for others who want to design technology and media and digital platforms for marginalized groups, but aren't from those groups, how to do it respectfully and to do it in a way that it's meaningful. Yeah, it's getting them involved in the conversation. Absolutely. From early on, no code was built before actually we spent months on the ground in New Orleans, literally surveying, asking people what did they think of the idea, what they think of the question. Before one string of code was built, we were on the ground and only the pandemic stopped us from completing that process as it was designed. But we pivoted and did that virtually. But it was always before we build one thing, we go to the community first. That's great. And I love that there's this real community focus in everything that you do. Mm -hmm. It's so thoughtfully built and so wonderful. And I'm curious, as a founder in this tech space, what your advice or words would be to other founders who maybe are looking for women of color in tech and claim to struggle to find them and Mm -hmm. how to really get them involved in those processes and where to find them and how to access that community so that they can be a part of these other ventures as well. Right. Anybody who's saying they can't find black and brown people in tech right now, you really need to be called bullshit on. Hopefully I can say that here. (laughs) First of all, they have always been there. But the question is, are you willing to do the work to find them? And now what's been great is many of them right now are in so high demand. I'm having trouble getting them because people have recognized that this is important to their work. But you need to go to where they are. Many people feel like, oh, I was looking for them. I went to Stanford and I went to Yale. And I'm like, well, is that where they are? How do you find out where they are? There were certainly WhatsApp groups and Slack channels that were full of them. Reddit boards, all the places had places where Black and brown folks in tech had created community, which is what they do, which is what we do every place we go. So how do you figure out where they are creating community and ask if you can be invited, ask someone to share, and then do that? That's what it was, was a lot of networking. I went to conferences as an outsider, Afrotech being a huge one. There are a lot more Black women in tech conferences, Black people in tech conferences. Are you going there, putting in the work to actually find them? Or is it something you've been doing from your desk via emails to your own network of friends and you're calling that an effort? So yeah, that's what I would say, that they're definitely out there. You just need to put in the work to find them. There are certainly Twitter handles and hashtags. If you put out anything with hashtag Black in Tech, you will get a response. So I would suggest even just using social media to put calls out. We've used that very effectively to find folks, learning the hashtags. It's pretty simple. <laughs> sure. <laughs> pretty simple. Yeah. It's not building an app. It's, it's not, not rocket science. It's not <laughs> rocket science. And certainly with social media, they're everywhere. So 
I would just encourage people to put in the extra work. It's so worth it. It's so necessary. The world is changing. And if you're designing products for the world, but you have excluded black and brown people, I'm asking you, what world are you actually in? <laughs> That's a great question. What, what world are you in? So really important question, I think, especially right now, because it does feel that we, to this point, historically, have really lived in, it's a tale of two cities. It's two different worlds. And I think integrating those worlds is going to be absolutely vital in moving forward together and not having the sort of divisiveness that we currently have. Yeah, of course. And, you know, when it comes to certain things, we all deserve bias-free health care. That's basic. We all deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. We all need to have access to fair pay as women and as people of colors. Some of the things are basic, y'all. So we really need to step up and think about how technology can help in those areas, but only if we're building products that include all of the people who are part of the community that we seek to serve. And do you think that the way that a lot of this data has been quantified, not just in the medical field, but data in general, the way that it's been quantified and presented to society, do you think that it has been reflective of the black and brown experience, truthfully, or has it been something that's been largely ignored in data and outside of data? Well, I think the data that has been shared is how much we're dying, and that's not necessarily helpful. I think we've been focused on clinical outcomes, which are important, but we haven't been looking at the whole spectrum. So for me, I don't want any more of people look like me to die at all. I don't think that should be the only trigger for analysis. You know, at Earth, we say, we want to help you learn from the living, which to me seems like a much better option. <laughs> a lot more helpful. <laughs> a, lot, a lot more helpful and less trauma for everybody. But but also to understand that even for those who don't die, there's a whole spectrum of pain, disrespect, trauma, often connected to postpartum depression, often connected to, to your point earlier, having this lack of optimal start to your motherhood journey. So much is within that that's never being counted by the medical field. They count if we die or if we nearly die. And that's it. And that, for me, is where they have failed to understand the spectrum of harm and trauma that's being left in the Black birthing community that needs to be addressed. And this idea of being dismissed about something that you're going through is where this health system has definitely failed. And on a big data front, there is no standardized method for tracking Black maternal mortality. Like every state does it. Some states don't. There's not even a national standardized process. We need a national standard and we need something that does more than just count C-sections and deaths and near deaths, but also considers this experience of care that needs to be improved. Another thing that's been a huge failure, which has been on the research side, there's been a lot of push around what they call evidence-based research. I'm using air quotes, which has been applied in maternity services. I do a lot of work in breastfeeding. I'm very passionate about breastfeeding advocacy. But they're using these evidence-based models and nobody asks evidence based on whom. Did this evidence ever include black and brown folks? Disproportionately, historically, what we've seen is reams and reams of quote-unquote research that never included black and brown folks, which is why up until very recently, I believe there was an article out that in medical schools, it was being taught that black people don't feel pain the same way as white people because something about our skin makes it tougher. 
it's not even true, but it was quote unquote research, racist research that now has made its way into practice. And we see how that is disproportionately impacting the care that black folks receive because of quote unquote evidence that is actually based on racist assumptions. That has been a repeated refrain in the medical space around data and scientific research that never centered black and brown folks. Wow. It makes me think I know just a little bit about the history of the science of being an OBGYN. And historically, they did a lot of tests and a lot of experiments on black and brown women with that same perception that they just weren't experiencing pain. But they were. They definitely were. Well, they're human. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shifting over to a more positive note, because Mm -hmm. this can be a very heavy conversation. Mm -hmm. I know that you also have a podcast where you highlight joyful stories. And I'm curious throughout your work and in building this app, what is the most hopeful or positive piece of data or experience that you've heard in this space that proves that maybe it's not all doom and gloom over here and there is some hope and that we are moving in a positive direction, hopefully? Yeah. And I think I've always known that it's not doom and gloom. That is just not the history of our people. Black people were enslaved, but they found a way to be joyful, even in enslavement. So that duality has always existed in our community. And for me, I wanted to make sure that that duality continued and that, yes, there are issues, there are problems, but there's also joy. Because what happened was the mainstream media had created this narrative of Black people dying so much. It was, one, stoking the fear, as I mentioned. Two, people who had positive experiences felt silenced. Because they felt like they weren't having an, quote unquote, authentic black experience because they had a good birth. That's crazy. As a storyteller at heart, as a person who's very perceptive of narratives and the ways that they grow and shape things, it was deeply concerning to me that there was this doom and gloom narrative in black maternal health driven by media headlines, which were only talking about the deaths and many high profile deaths, all of which were tragic and unacceptable. But there was collateral damage to that that we needed to counter. So I started Birthright as a way to counter that narrative and to layer it with another narrative. There can't just be one story. There's never one story. That's my journalist head. There's never just one story, but yet repeatedly, there was only one story being told in the Black maternal health narrative, and I wanted to counter that and to show there was joy. I love all the joyful stories. And the thing about it, I did not define joyful as the birth outcome you wanted. Our first episode was a mom who ended up delivering a 25-weeker, an extremely premature baby. But she responded to the call because even in that outcome, she found joy in how she was allowed to birth. Her husband was there. She had two midwives. Her story was so inspiring. She realized that she was able to find joy even in an outcome that she did not want. And for me, that is the epitome of what Black maternal health and what joy in our birthing experience can be like. Not that you didn't get to deliver vaginally and you had to have a C-section. That's bound to happen to a lot of people, including myself, but that you were listened to and that someone answered your questions and they held your hand if you wanted that and they let you play your music if that wasn't such a big deal and your partner was present or whoever you want was there. And in that way, you found your joy. 
those are the stories that make me excited when people, as we have always done, are finding joy. That's not about perfect. It's not about perfection. It's never been about exactly the experience you wanted. Even one of the episodes, we have a mother who was determined she wanted to give birth at home. Her husband said, no, we're not doing that. (laughs) So her goal was to labor as much as she could at home before going to the hospital. And she pushed it too far, ended up giving birth in a car. (laughs) Split the difference. Right, right. I was like, oh, yeah, you should have been more specific. Again, she found joy. She didn't want to give birth in the front seat of her car, but that she was able to labor the way that she wanted to know that she wasn't going to be in a hospital where she may not be able to move around and she had her children with her. So many other things to make the experience joyful. So that's what makes me happy to see people creating their own version of joy and finding it, even if it's not about the specific birth outcome. And I think that's what I want the lesson to be. That's amazing. So how can our listeners help support you in this journey? Well, you can learn more about Earth at earthapp.com, I-R-T-H-A-P-P.com, where you can donate, follow us on our social platforms. And if you know any funders out there looking to fund technology in Black maternal health, please give a holler. (laughs) But please follow Earth on our social platforms. And I would love to hear from anyone who has suggestions or ideas on how we can grow this work. And you can listen to Birthright, a podcast about joy and healing in Black birth. Kimberly, thank you again so much for your time. And we've so appreciated having you on this podcast and shedding a little bit more light on this topic. I think it's so important for us to be talking about. And I think the work you're doing is so incredible. And I'm just so happy we could be a small part of it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Kinsider. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to podcasts. If there's an option to leave a review, that'd be great. For Kindred Media, I'm Chris Peterson. Talk to you next time.